0: Hey, good morning FCF. Uh, Here we are again. I don't even know what week it is. Sixth week, seventh week, it's all starting to run together. I bet it is for you too. Anyway, here we are. We're still sheltering in place and uh, I'm just thrilled that at least we can still uh, share God's Word together. We can both be built up by it, challenged by it, and so on. This is the third message and I'm going to complete this little mini-series about sheltering in place and this is the third message in the series. I want to start this message in a little bit of an unusual way. I want you to imagine something and uh, let yourself be taken fully into this so that we're experiencing this together. You go to sleep tonight, and while you're asleep, you have a dream, but you know this is not like any other dream you've ever had. In the dream, God speaks to you, and you know that you know that you know this is indeed God. This isn't just a dream. In this dream, God says to you, he says, my child, I want to talk to you about your future. I want to talk to you about my plans, my intentions, my destiny for you and your choice involved in this. And God says, here's what I want you to make a decision on. If you will allow for me to take six years of your life. And I have to tell you, they're going to be extremely difficult, you're you're going to be living a life of of extreme, unpleasant, uncomfortable denial, uh, loss, deprivation for six long years. But if you're willing to suffer for six long years, I can assure you this will enable me to give you 40 years of the most maximum effective uh, influential in a positive way life that can be had so my child you are my child you don't have to take this there's another option for you too but if you want this six years of essentially sheltering in place in extremely difficult circumstances but it pr- pr- prepares you it prepares you for 40 years of spectacular effective living what would your choice be I want you to think about that I want you to truly crawl into that. Would you accept, not six weeks, would you accept six years of extremely difficult living? But you know that it's going to be followed by, it's going to set you up for 40 years of living beyond what you could even hardly imagine, right dead in the center of God's will. Now, it's kind of easy. It's kind of easy to make that decision when it's not real, but I want you to think it through. Would you really Think about how you have felt with these six weeks and other times of extreme difficulty in your life. All right? Make your decision. Choose God's plan A or not. But then God says, however much I'll, is one thing. If you choose to accept the six years of extreme difficulty followed by the 40 years of extraordinary living, there is one caveat. When you awaken from this dream, you will not remember anything. The destiny will be sealed. If you accept now, while we're talking together in your dream, if you'll accept the six extremely difficult years, I can assure you of the 40 extraordinarily wonderful years, but you won't remember a thing. My child, I want you to understand before you make your decision. In other words, when the six extremely difficult years occur... You won't know when they're going to start. You won't know what's happening. You won't know why it's happening. You won't remember any of this. None of this will make sense until you're in your seventh year, and then it will start to come back to you, this dream. So, my child, what's your decision? I suppose that in some ways that's an almost difficult imaginary scenario for us to be in. But we're going to meet an individual. We're going to meet an individual who happens to be the seventh king of the kingdom of Judah, who is in that exact set of circumstances. He is in extreme difficulty for six years, followed by 40 years of extraordinary living. Now, to give you a little bit of background, you're going to have to bear with me. I'm going to have to give you a lot of history. When you read the Old Testament, it's easy to just get overwhelmed and lost. Sometimes people read some of the things that occur to the individuals in the Old Testament. They say, boy, that sounds so extreme. And what you don't know when you're reading it is this. When God took the people that were in slavery in Egypt, the Israelites, when He took them out and made them a nation, Moses as their leader, He made a covenant with them, an agreement with them. And essentially it was this He gave His laws to them, He told them His will, His ways to live. And they were to live those ways so that the rest of the world could see what the real God was like by the way that his people lived by his laws and conducted themselves. God told them, okay, if you are faithful to express me to the rest of the world, here's the blessings. And so he makes this covenant. You can read it in in the first five books of the Bible, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, you know, I'll bless your crops and I'll bless your cattle you'll be physically healthy i'll protect you from other nations and so forth he says however if you disrespect me if you don't represent me accurately to the rest of the world you disregard my laws well there will be cycles of discipline now the cycles of discipline my children are to trying to bring you back but they can be severe and you can read about these cycles of discipline the worst cycle of discipline was that god would allow another nation to overrun the israelites take them into captivity because they were so miserably misrepresenting him now mind you god told them all this up front and moses and the israelites all say yes we want to enter into this covenant this deal with god we accept both the blessings and the cursings so when you read some of the severe things in the old testament you have to understand God's primary focus was this, he was progressively revealing himself to the world. He was first revealing himself to the people of Israel and they were gonna start writing down in a book, this book we call the Bible, passing, passing on, preserving that record. God was revealing himself to Israel and then as they were obedient to him, he was revealing himself through them. But if they were disobedient to him, it was confusing his message to the rest of the world. Therefore, they would enter into those cycles of uh, discipline. So you have to have all that in mind when you're reading the Old Testament because it sounds severe until you understand this. So whether Israel was faithful or whether they were unfaithful, God kept the covenant agreement, which gave a message to the rest of the world and the readers of the Bible, the real God is always faithful to His promises. The people of God may not be faithful, but God's faithful. If He says He's going to bless you when you're obedient, He does. If He says He's going to chastise you if you're misrepresented Him, He does. Now, those Old Testament, co- the Old Testament covenant, all the promises, all the conditions do not apply to us today. We are not the nation of Israel. They had a dietary code. They had special clothing. They had to wear all, all kinds of things. Now, I'm saying all that so you can make more sense when you read the old testament and i have to say that to lead up to here the israelites had about a 1500 year history leading up to jesus when they got to about the year let's say 1050 bc they decided they wanted to be like the rest of the nations and have a king god never intended that he was meant to be their king but he allowed them to have it the first king they had was a man named saul saul reigned for about 41 years He was disobedient to God, so God decided he wanted a king that he said uh, in his own wording, there was a, a man after my own heart, and that was David. David becomes the second king of all Israel. He reigns for 40 years, and David's son Solomon, he reigns after David dies for yet another 40 years. Now, the first three kings reigned over the entire nation of Israel. The entire nation of Israel consisted of 12 tribes, we might call them 12 states. Just like we have 50 states, they had 12 states. However, when Solomon died and his son, Rehoboam, came along because Solomon had taxed the people so exorbitantly, they were ready to rebel. So they told Rehoboam, you have to ease up on the taxes or we're going to break away from you. Rehoboam refused to listen, and so a split occurred. And you you have to understand this when you're reading the Old Testament for it to make sense to you. Just like the United States had a civil war, there was the northern states and the southern states. Israel had a split. You had the ten northern states that were, from that point on, called Israel or the northern kingdom or Samaria. The two southern states, Benjamin and Judah, were called Judah. The temple was in Judah, in Jerusalem. And so you have this thing going on from the time of the split. You have 19 kings of the northern tribes uh, in Israel. You have to understand something. God made a promise to King David. He said that the royal lineage will always come from you, David. The only kings that God recognizes are the ones that are in the Davidic lineage. All the northern kings, none of them did God recognize. They were all evil. Um, Their first king created a false system of worship. They misrepresented God miserably. God loved them. He sent prophets to plead with them to return to him again and again. But 19 kings they had. So from that split in 930 B.C. all the way up to 721, they were in total rebellion. God's patience finally ran out, and he let the Assyrians overrun them. Those 10 northern tribes were gone forever. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where the temple was in Jerusalem, they went on from that 930 split all the way up to 587 B.C. But they, too, became so rebellious, they so misrepresented, misrepresented God, he couldn't continue to bless them either. So he let the Babylonians overrun them. However, he promised them that after 70 years in captivity, he would restore them. And history has that he did. They came back to their land. They rebuilt their temple and so forth. Now, here... So there were 19 kings in the north. They were all evil. There were also 19 kings in the south. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Of the southern kingdom, Judah, eight of those kings were righteous kings, good kings. Two of them were in kind of a mixed bag, but all in all, there there was eight. So when we come to this portion of Scripture today... Of the nineteen kings of the south, we are going to meet the seventh king of the nineteen. He turns out to be one of the good kings. Okay, so I'm going to take you now. Uh, well, well, actually, there's, there's one. There's one other thing I've got to tell you. I'm going to take you, and, and if you have your Bibles with you, because we don't, we're not in church anymore. I can't tell you what page number, but. If you want to find this bit in your Bible or read it sometime on your own, please do. I'm going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. I'm going to pause. Then I'm going to read you verse 4 and then verse 12 through 14. But 2 Kings chapter 11, verse um, 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Now, let me give you just a bit more background. For you hate history, uh, this has probably been tedious to you, but but I'm trying to make the Scripture come alive. I want you to understand when you read So, when you come to this point, it's 835 B.C., all right, 835 B.C., but there's something that happened 18 years earlier. If you don't know what it is, what you're going to read in a minute is going to sound shocking because it's about a psychopath granny. It's a murderous granny is what we're going to be reading about. Her name is Athaliah, but none of it's going to make sense unless you allow me to take you back 18 years earlier. Bear with me. A man named Jehoshaphat, a king of that southern kingdom, one of the good kings, he reigned over Judah for 25 years. He was being very prosperous. Because he was faithful to God, God prospered him, but then he got careless. He made an alliance with one of the kings of the north, whose name happened to be Ahab, the worst of the worst. He was the most evil of the kings of the north. He killed the prophets of God in, in mass. Anyway, you know how politics are. So Jehoshaphat decides he's going to make a treaty with Ahab. And the way he did it was this. Jehoshaphat gave his son Jehoram, who was going to be the fifth king of the southern kingdom. He gives him to marry Ahab's daughter, a lady named Aphaliah. So Jehoram and Athaliah, they marry. So now we have this alliance with the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom. They had had a kind of a hostile existence to that political stuff. You, we can all understand this. Political peace is what Jehoshaphat was after. All right, keep that in mind. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles, uh, I believe it's chapter, yeah, Second Chronicles chapter 18. You can read about the whole story. That was 18 years before where we're at now. So... Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram. Jehoshaphat dies after 25 years, and his son Jehoram takes over as king of Judah. But remember who's he married to? He's married to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked Baal worshipper. He was a murderous scoundrel. His daughter was just like him. So what, what does he do? After eight years, he kills, he kills his brothers because he doesn't want anybody to be a threat to him, he kills his brothers, and eight years later, he dies of an agonizing physical malady. So when he dies, his son, named Ahaziah, becomes king. Now, Ahaziah is the son of Athaliah. Abraham is dead, so Ahaz becomes, uh, this would be the sixth king of the, the southern kingdom. He is executed after one year by a man named Jehu, who will become one of the kings of the north. I know this stuff is is tedious, man, but just stick with me. It'll make sense. So now we are in a strange, strange world. There is no male king in Judah, nobody in David's lineage to rule over the kingdom of Judah. The only one left because Ahaziah only reigned one year. He was the son of of Jehoram and Athaliah but he's dead now he's dead and so there's nobody left to rule except Athaliah the woman the daughter of Ahab the wicked Baal worshiper and what you'll see the murderous psychopath Granny okay okay you've been patient at this point (laughs) that sounds like a soap opera I know now we're going to read I'm going to get you into the text here we go 2nd Kings chapter 11 when Athaliah the mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead, she was determined to destroy the entire royal line. So, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, and the sister of Ahaziah took Ahaziah's son, Joash, and sneaked him away from the rest of the royal descendants who were to be executed. Notice this. She was going to execute the entire royal line and stay queen for herself. So, uh, let me let me pick it up. So Ahaziah, Ahaziah's son, Joash, well, she sneaked him away from the rest of the royal descendants who were to be executed. She hid him and his nurse in the room where the bed covers were stored. It was some kind of a storage room. So he was hidden from Athaliah and escaped execution. Now get this, verse 3. He hid out with his nurse in the Lord's temple in this closet... In the Lord's temple for six years while Athaliah was ruling over the land. And this is where we want to try to get into this. Six years. Imagine this child. He's born. He sneaked away from his mother. Evidently the, the king Ahaziah and Jordan, they, they had multiple wives in those days. So Athaliah was not even aware of all the wives, not aware that one of them was pregnant. So when she was killing all the rest of them, she missed this one. And Jehoshaphat, who is the wife, we read in 2 Chronicles, the wife of the priest, you'll read about him in a minute, named Jehoiada, they sneak this way, and and this is her nephew, uh, this little, little baby, Joash, is her nephew, she sneaks him away, hides him away, and she has to keep this kid hidden from his psychotic, murderous grandmother for six years. Now, let's crawl into Joash's skin. I'm a baby boy, and I wake into consciousness, you know, I get to be six months old, nine months old, a year, two years, three years. What do I know about life? What What do I understand? I understand that I'm kept locked, essentially in a closet. Other kids are out playing and enjoying the fresh air. I can't. And it's all based on the fact that I'm being told that I'm in tremendous danger. Now, here's the thing. This danger was not visible. It was not visible to little J- Joe Ash. He had never seen his grandmother. i am gonna be honest with you. He probably didn't even know what a grandmother was. He probably didn't even know what a mother was. He had never seen his mother as far as we can tell. He was raised by his niece. I know what that's like. I was raised by my great-grandparents until I was six. I was suddenly told I was going to go live with my mother. I didn't even know what a mother was. This young fellow was told that he was in great danger from something that was not visible to him, so he probably wondered, you know, is what is this? And it was something. How could he understand it if they tried to explain to him? Well, you see, this is this is your grandmother. She's your dad's mother. Then, the little boy, as his cognitive faculties would develop, well, wait a minute. Isn't she supposed to love me? Isn't she supposed to be the one to nurture me and care for me? And you're telling me this invisible woman. I've never seen her. I don't even know if she exists. That. That she wants to destroy me? Why? Why would she want to destroy me? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. So the little boy is being deprived of normalcy. He is forced to shelter in place for six years. The man is living in a closet. And it's all based on some invisible fear. I want you to pause and think about our circumstance. We're told right now, We're told that we're in tremendous danger. Now we know I'm gonna get to it. We know there's validity, but it's invisible. We can't see this thing. We just know that we're told we are in extraordinary danger from an invisible force. We don't know why we're uh, in this danger, but we are. The second thing that Joe Ash had, I think in common with us is that the only thing he knew about this danger is what other people told him. He had no firsthand knowledge. He had never seen his grandmother. He had never seen anybody murdered. He, he didn't know what she had done to the rest of the royal lineage. All he knew was hearsay. It was Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, the priest, telling this little boy day after day, No, 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 son, you can't go outside. You've got to be careful. You've got to keep the noise down. You can't be like other kids. You, you've got to stay sheltered in place. Trust us. We're kind of getting a lot of this today, too. Uh, you know, if you listen to the talking heads, whether they're extremists on the right, extremists on the left, and everything in between, you can hear pretty much any version of this COVID-19 scenario you want. Some people want to act like, oh, it's just like any other flu, this is ridiculous, we're being imprisoned as a people, our civil rights are being trampled on, blah, blah, blah. Other people are like, oh my goodness, this is the most dangerous thing that's ever happened, it could wipe out millions of us, and you have everything in between. But the bottom line is, you're not a scientist, I'm not a scientist, although you might be a scientist, I'm not a scientist what we know about this virus, let's be honest, all we know is what we're told. All Joe Ash knew was what he was told. He was told (laughs) he had a murderous psychotic granny. He wasn't even sure what a granny was, but he was told that this woman would destroy him. And so he had to live this life of deprivation, sheltering in place, unable to enjoy the normal things that life offered everyone else. Now, here's the thing. The truth was, the truth that he dared not thankfully ignore is that what they were telling him was true. Indeed, his grandmother, Athaliah, was a psychotic, murderous maniac, and he, she would have indeed killed him instantly had she known that he existed. I want you to think about something, folks. I, I don't know what your position is. I don't get political. You guys know me better now. that. Um, but I want you to just look at some facts, this thing really has only been going on in this country for about six weeks, maybe seven. It depends on how you look at it. Um, initially, some people, myself included, looked at this like, hey, man, it just sounds like another flu to me. You always have a lot of people dying from flu. Last year, we had about 34,000 people that died in this country from flu. I thought, nah, just another flu. I do not believe that for one second anymore. Folks, let me just tell you something. Right now, as of today, there are 800,000 known cases, there's probably many more now, 800,000 known cases in the United States, and we have over 41,000 deaths. And that's with the extraordinary sheltering in place mechanisms that we have been observing. What would have happened if we would have just been functioning like it was an everyday flu? I I dare to think that there would have been millions of us dead. The the country would have not been able to handle the corpses. I I want to talk to some of you because some of you, you misunderstand God's way of protecting us. And you think kind of like this, hey, my days are numbered, God's got the number, and I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to throw caution to the wind. You know, I, I don't have to be worried about this or fear anything. But you're being presumptuous. I want you to think about something. What if What if the way God protects us sometimes is to have us shelter in place? What if the way God protects us sometimes is to stir our common sense to avoid danger? Well, what if, what if God is the one telling us shelter in place as he was telling young Joash to shelter in place through Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada the priest? You see, we we, we get the same mixed up. We, we think that God's way of protecting us always is supernatural, so we can just kind of walk off a 10,000-foot high cliff and he'll supernaturally protect us. But that's stupidity. That's presumption. And, and so I'm saying to some of you that Feel like, well, I'm not going to observe those laws. I'm not going to wear a mask when I go out. I'm not going to worry about distancing. You know, I don't ever get the flu. I, I think you're being a little bit insulting to God's attempt to protect you. You say, Randy, Randy, where do you get something like that? But let me tell you a real story. There's a pastor, a guy like me. I, I saw the church. looks like a pretty darn healthy church, a good-sized church just outside of Richmond. His name, I want to get this right, his name was Gerald Glenn. And back on March 22, in his church, after the mandate had been given, do not have mass gatherings, he went ahead, he held his church service, he had a mass gathering, he gave his message, and in the message, here's what he said. He said, my God is larger than the COVID virus. And the audience applauded. They erupted with it. Well, who doesn't know that? Who doesn't know? You know what? God's bigger than gravity, too. But if I step off that 10,000-foot cliff, God is not going to protect me. I'm going to die. Why? Because God gave me the ability to know that you step off a 10,000-foot cliff, you're going to die. He's given us the ability to know that there are certain dangerous things in our day and age called viruses that will kill you. Gerald Glenn gave that talk to the applause, to the applause of his people. Gerald Glenn. That was March 22nd. Gerald Glenn is dead. He died Of COVID-19, his wife is infected with COVID-19. His daughter is infected with COVID-19. They're adults, adult daughter, and her husband is infected with COVID-19. I'm making a plea with some of you that are that are a little too presumptuous on God's protection. Often, God's way of protecting us is to tell us, use your common sense, listen to data. And, and, and be cautious, wear the mask, do the social distancing. And and let, let's be realistic, Joash was in danger, but not everybody else was in danger in the kingdom. His murderous grandmother would only be after him. What are they telling us? They're saying some of us are in more danger than others. They're saying it looks like younger people might not be in as much danger from this virus as, as certain. They're saying the people that have certain physical diseases whether it's a heart problem, whether it's diabetes or other things that we're more vulnerable, they're telling us at certain ages we're more, more vulnerable. Joash was in greater danger than Jehoshaphat or Joahed the priest or many many other people in the kingdom. You and I better listen to these warnings because I believe they're warnings given by God to protect us. And, and so if we if we throw those away, um, we're we're being presumptuous and we're not we're not taking. God's protection. He has lots of ways to protect his people. But one way is that he warns us. And folks, we're, we're being warned pretty clearly. This is a dangerous thing. We'll get through it. We'll ride it out. We'll have, uh, I believe, you know, a lot of exciting years ahead of us. But we don't want to die unnecessarily because we were presumptuous upon God and didn't it didn't embrace his mechanism to protect us. So Joe Ash, he goes through six years. Can you imagine a kid living in a closet for six years? We we read stories like this, and we consider it torturous, barbaric, horrible. But the truth was, even though it was extremely difficult, follow this, folks. Follow this. If you if you, if you stay with me up until now, even though it was extremely difficult for this poor little kid, it was vitally necessary. Put these together. Not, never separate these two ideas. Even though it was extremely difficult. It was vitally necessary. What if, what if you and I, not knowing all the things that are going on behind the scenes, God sees it all. He sees the whole playing field. We, we don't. We just see a small part. What if it was, even though it's been perhaps extremely difficult for some of us, this six-week, seven-week period, or whatever it turns out to be? We don't know how long this thing is going to be. I, I certainly don't expect normalcy to just ensue instantly it's going to be a phased out thing but however long it turns out however long it turns out to be what if though extremely difficult what if a loving god knows it's vitally necessary what what do we turn to the next chapter to story you'll, you'll see how this all makes sense so let me take you back to second kings and now I'm going to pick up in verse four. So the poor little guy has been hidden away for the first six years of his life from his murderous, psychotic grandmother, Athaliah. In the seventh year, Jehoiada summoned the officers of the units of the hundreds of the Carrions and the royal bodyguard. He met with them in the Lord's temple. He made an agreement with them and made them swear an oath of allegiance in the Lord's temple. Then he showed them the king's son. Up to this point, These guards, these temple guards didn't even know this kid existed. Nobody knew he existed, evidently, outside of Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada. That was husband and wife. In this case, she was the niece of this little fellow. So let me show you what happens next. I'm going to pick up reading. Now in verse 12. Jehoiada led out the king's son and placed on him the crown and the royal insignia they proclaimed him king and they poured olive oil on his head symbolic of the the spirit of god's choice upon him to be the king they clapped their hands and they cried out long live the king when athaliah verse 13 when athaliah heard the royal guard shout she joined the crowd at the lord's temple then she saw the king standing by the pillar According to custom, the officers stood beside the king with their trumpets, and all the people of the land were celebrating and blowing trumpets. Athaliah tore her clothes, and she screamed, treason, treason. And I'll end the story there because it doesn't get pleasant after that. They have her executed, and it was the right thing to do. So, What about this? It was extremely difficult these first six years. The kid didn't know what was going on. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how, he didn't know how long he was going to have to be there. We don't know how long we're going to have to go through this. So it was extremely difficult, but it was vitally necessary. Let's look at his case. It was absolutely necessary for him to stay protected for those six years for his healthy development. He didn't quite understand it. But God was assuring that he developed in a healthy way. And God needed these unusual conditions for that to occur. And this is the part that I really want to get to. What's more exciting is this. By this young man going through six years of extreme difficulty, it assured him, it prepared him for his God-intended destiny. Listen, from this point on, when Joash was anointed as king, He reigned for the next 40 years, 40 years as a king, the king of all Judah. We're talking life on the highest level, the most positive capacity to influence of anybody in the land. He lived life at its best in the center of God's will for the next 40 years of his life, but it wouldn't have happened. He would have never been prepared had he not accepted sheltering in place for an indefinite period of time. In his case, it was a full six years. Full six years. And that brings to the next thing, too. This sheltering-in-place experience, it provided time that was necessary to change things, change people, change circumstances, so that Joash could enter into his God-given destiny. What if that's true of you and I now? You see, think about this. The reason I believe they held off so long until the little boy was ready to turn seven is I think Jehoiada, the priest, and Jehoshaphat, they had to slowly but surely talk to people and find out who they could trust and who they couldn't trust, who was dangerous, who was aligned with Athaliah, and who was not. They had to slowly, slowly build a trustworthy force before they dared bring this little boy out to enter into his God-given destiny. What if What if behind the scenes, in ways that you and I can never imagine, there are conversations being had, let's just say at your place where you work, or your business, or in amongst family members or friends, but conversations are being had, people's minds are being changed, people's attitudes are being changed, and that change is going to have a domino effect on you. Life is often about timing, I'm talking about explicit timing. Folks, maybe you're like me, you've had this experience, I've had the experience of coming right up on a massive, destructive car accident. I mean, literally, it was right in front of me. The kind of accident that when you see it, you just get sickened inside, and you're almost sure that people are seriously injured, if not killed, and you realize one second, it would have been me instead of that car in front of me. One second, one second. So much of life is about timing. What if God needed time to work behind the scenes, to change circumstances, to change minds, to change whole economic structures in ways that we can't we can't see how all these pieces fit together, all the domino dominoes fall. But what we thought was a set of difficult circumstances was actually vitally necessary so that we will ultimately be able to enter into our beautiful, wonderful, God-intended future, a God-intended destiny, a destiny wonderful beyond what we can conceive right now, and not in spite of this timeout, but because of this timeout. Let me repeat that again. I I, I believe this. I believe some of us are going to be shocked. We get two years, three years, four years, and we'll look back on this. And we'll see some of the changes that God made in us, some of the changes God made in people around us, some of the changes maybe in our vocational environments and so on. We'll realize this time that we thought was extremely difficult was actually vitally necessary that we could enter into our full God-given destiny and be the people that God intended us to be and do the things that He intended us to do and influence the lives that He intended us to influence. And we'll look back and we'll say, I would have never dreamt it. I would have never had it any other way. For little Joe Ash, it probably seemed at times crazy. He might have doubted in his mind, maybe these people are nuts. Maybe they're fanatics. Maybe they're just torturing me for nothing, keeping me boxed in here. But the truth of the matter was, it was God's protection. And they needed the time, Jehoiada the priest, Jehoshaphat his wife, they needed the time to get the the trustworthy guard around this little fellow so that he could be the king that God had always intended him to be. Now, I'm going to make an application to this. I I, I want you to listen to me carefully. What if we need the time, some of us, not all of us are in equal danger. Joash was in more danger than the average person. Some of us are in more danger than this, but, but what if, what if for some of us, The timing we need is a vaccine. What if we're not going to be safe? The carrying guard in our case is is going to be when there is a vaccine that's massively available so that all people can get it and have access to it. And what if prior to that, you and I have to still be willing to varying degrees, experience the shelter in place life, which is extremely difficult which deprives of some freedom what if we had to be what if we had to give us some freedom for a little while longer so that we can enjoy freedom on a scale like we never believed for the rest of our lives because we serve a loving and a good God he is faithful to his people um we can trust him I'm telling you folks I know this is not this is not a usual normal set of circumstances the whole world has been brought to a screeching halt it is a divine interruption. It is a divine time out. God wants to get our attention. He wants to draw us back to himself. He wants us to learn. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word, but every word of God. Like Jesus said, we need to get back into the word of God. Let God's word get in us. We need to change some habits. We need to do a lot of thinking and we need to be patient and shelter in place because though it's extremely difficult, it's vitally necessary Because our God is a faithful God. That dream story, that dream. Remember I started it out? I said, would you trade six years of extreme difficulty for 40 years of extraordinary living? The truth is the extreme difficulty was vitally necessary for the 40 years of extraordinary living. What if, and I believe this is so, because you're God's child. If you've trusted Christ and you're his follower, you're God's child. I believe whatever time out we experience now, whatever shelter in place, whatever loss of freedoms and convenience and and so on, is because God knows it's vitally necessary for us to step in to our God-intended future. And when we hit the ground, we'll hit the ground running because we will be different people and we will be immersed in a different set of circumstances because of this sheltering in place time out. I hope this word has encouraged you, I hope it got into your heart, <laughs> the way it got into mine when I was preparing it, and um, and I hope it, it, it gives you that divine energy that God's Word is meant to give to us. It's we're, we're, we're beings, folks, that we're meant to live inspired lives, energized by the very spirit of the living God through the Word of God. I hope that's happened to you this Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, you know each and every one of us. You know the the number of hairs on our head. You know our fingerprints. You know every tear. We've cried. You know every fear we live with and every challenge we struggle with. We trust you. We know you're a good God. We know you work all things for the good of those who love you. May those that are on shaky ground this morning know that this was a this was a divine message. This was a sweet kiss from your lips on their forehead. To know that what seems extremely difficult, they're going to see was vitally necessary. May this message be impressed on all our hearts lastingly. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. S C F Church, thank you once again. Uh, I, I hope to, uh, before long. Well, See you soon again. Goodbye for now.